What I say to you, I say to all. Keep awake. Please be seated. In a moment of profound awakeness, Stephanie realized that she might die. Stopped at an intersection with no way to move, the out-of-control car barreling towards her that she saw in her rearview mirror told her that she very likely had only seconds to live and that she had no control over what was about to happen. To her own surprise, she didn't panic. She did not become so fearful that she froze up. Rather, she realized what she wanted in that final second of her life. She no longer wanted to hold her body in the same state of tension that she had lived with her whole life long. This is how I lived life, she said. I decided that I did not want to live that way, and I did not want to die that way. And so, with death approaching, she relaxed. She said, I let go. I surrendered to life and to death. In this true story, recounted by David Kessler and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Stephanie's moment of complete and total awareness was no less profound for how chronologically short it was. What amazes me is just how close to the surface this knowledge was, though it did take something that was traumatic and final to really bring it out. Stephanie's moment of freedom and letting go probably saved her life. Had her body tensed up in panic, which is, which is what most of us would have done, the impact of the collision, which absolutely happened, might well have ended her life. Yet her body was relaxed, and she was better able to survive the crash. She said afterwards, I had held life with a clenched fist, but now I realized I could hold it with an open hand, as if it were a feather resting in my palm. Jesus says, keep awake, for you do not know when the master will return, in the evening or at midnight or at dawn or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. I don't always know what to make of that. Awakeness, it, it seems like a pretty good thing, until I think about what it's actually like to pull an all-nighter. I've never been very good at that. I wasn't any good at it in college. Uh, I did pull a few all-night shifts as a hospital chaplain, and I saw that it hits differently. When we meet gr grief at midnight or at one or two in the morning, when the corridors outside are quiet and the windows are darkened, where the loss inside the room disrupts time altogether. 
But in our, our everyday lives, staying awake is a different kind of question. And I don't know that spiritual all-nighters are the answer that we want. We need to stay awake. We need to stay awake to the presence of God. To wholeheartedly, to live wholeheartedly. We remain vigilant in our world lest the powers and principalities distort the good things that God has created. Even the great prophetic coffee mug that says, Jesus is coming, so look busy. Um, it's not exactly wrong, it just doesn't tell the whole story. We know that we are not supposed to be numb, to be lulled to sleep by avarice or ambivalence, by drunkenness or dissipation. But there is such a thing as being so hyper awake that we become more reactive than loving. Where our search for God under every rock looks less like a spiritual journey than a frantic search for our car keys. Where our hypervigilance against any perceived slight leads us to use the corrosive language of shame and blame rather than the generative charisms of grace and mutual love. Jesus is speaking of a different kind of awakeness that is neither the caffeinated mojo of the early bird nor the intense midnight vigil of the one who stays up all night watching the door, hoping to see that doorknob turn, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I think this is more about being awake at dusk and at dawn, when the light and the dark dance with one another, where we drift between slumber and attentiveness and actually discern things differently. Do you know how you, you do that? Will you, things come to your mind in those minutes before you're supposed to be waking up that wouldn't come to you at any other time? Or when day turns to night and the intense, beautiful sunset colors light up the world for just a few moments in a dazzling show of God's playfulness and creativity. Somewhere between being numb and being reactive, between eternally sleepy and unceasingly anxious, lies a state of awakeness that allows us to see the presence of God in a way that we simply don't at any other moment. Somewhere be between repression and indulgence, if I could use Pema Chodron's wonderful phrase, we encage this beautiful world with our whole hearts. And when we do that, we share with it the gift of our love. In that dusk and dawn space, where we find that our, our physical sight is not so good, it is our spiritual intuition that comes alive and becomes the way that we perceive everything around us. Keep awake. This does not mean using willpower 
to mine the world for grace. How well do you think that's going to work? Not well at all. But rather to open the eyes of our hearts. Faith can sharpen our spiritual intuition. What is gratitude but a way to see and give thanks for the abundance of God in all that we have and all that we are? What are charity and grace but windows through which we see the greatest challenges of our lives as opportunities to grow and to love more wholeheartedly than we ever had before? When we go through periods of great change, our spiritual intuition can help us. It can help us to hold tension and discomfort long enough for God to create something new in us. At, at my Dean's Forum in the last hour, I did this. I talked about three periods of transition, of one of loss, one of the neutral zone, and then one of taking on something new. I'll skip to the end. They all blur together. But when we're in that neutral zone in the middle, there is a great temptation to get out of it as fast as possible, to go back to the way where things just seemed perfect before, or, or to hurry, hurry out of it, out of that place of discomfort. But neither of those paths helps us to stay awake. They are the same rush, the same rush towards numbness or reactivity, the same place between indulgence and repression, which is so sad because it's in those uncomfortable places where so much of the good stuff happens. Stephanie had not gone through her life waiting vigilantly for a moment of truth. She just lived her life. But when she saw that car bearing down on her, her spiritual intuition kicked in. And at precisely the right moment, Stephanie woke up. When Jesus tells us to be awake, he isn't just doing that so that we can be ready for the first coming or the second coming, but rather because our faith gives us the gift of perception, a deeper sight an awakeness to the presence and the movement of the, and the, whole, the holy that is all around us. This is at the heart of our growth in Christ. This is at the heart of our life-giving relationships. This is at the heart of our justice work. This is at the heart of everything. And there's a reason why we explore this type of awareness in Advent. And it isn't just because Jesus is coming. We do it because so much of, of this season, we talk about light and darkness. Though it's not about turning on the floodlights so as to cast, to turn the night into day. We're talking about mystery. And you can't have mystery without light and dark. Darkness is beautiful. Darkness is beautiful in and of itself. And we need it. We need a generous measure of it to discern God's presence. Because it is when darkness and light come together that we are most attuned to the reality. That we are not alone. That we are surrounded by grace. And that there is so much more to this world than we can see in the harsh 
light of day. Back in my pre-seminary days, when I made movies in New York City, you may Google me, but I wasn't that important, so you won't find much. Few things were as important as Magic Hour. Who knows what Magic Hour is? Magic Hour is that brief, it's not an hour by the way, it's that brief period after sunset and before sunrise when warm colors, golds and pinks and blues come together to create a luminous reality. They create the most beautiful shots. And for, the, for those of us um, in the film business, that meant moving dozens of, of people and cameras and trucks and crews and actors uh, from one side of Manhattan for hours until we get to the other one place where we then have to set up and hustle in order to hopefully, hopefully get one and maybe two shots. That is all you get at Magic Hour. And in that brief fraction of an hour, we saw things that we did not see, that we could not capture at any other time of the day. New colors, new perceptions made possible by the blending, by the dance of light and dark. God has given us the capacity to perceive this world not just through our eyes, not even through our amygdalae, but through our wise and loving hearts. That is how we become vessels of grace. That is how we awaken to the holiness that is all around us. So what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. <laughs>